Good evening, everybody. My name is Carrie, and I'm an addict. I'm, a, I'm an everything person. You got it. I want it. Hi, Zoom. I'm going to start this timer, because if not, I'll talk y'all off straight out the room. Um, man, it's grateful to be here. Sean, thank you for asking me for the speak. Um, it's always a, a, a absolute blessing to come out and share your message and your story with uh, people that are, uh, you know, are alike, just like me. Um, and for so, for so long, you know, I thought I was so different than everybody. Um, I've heard this a few times and I've kind of borrowed it, but you know, my first drug of choice was your approval. And that's all I wanted. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be okay, you know, just feel okay. And I didn't feel that. Um, I'm from South Florida originally. Um, a treatment brought me out here to California. I'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, I was I, uh, born and raised in South Florida. Um, I left there in 2011 on some unfortunate circumstances. Um, but uh, my grandmother raised me till I was about 10 years old. Um, my mom basically uh, gave birth to me and then dropped me off at grandma, which I, I, I say is probably the, the, the best thing that you know could have happened at the time. And for that, I'm forever grateful because I got to spend you know those years with my grandmother, who's an absolute beautiful soul. Um, there were some things that took place in my grandmother's house when I was about seven or eight years old. Um, I started, uh, I found a box full of old collectible coins and silver certificates or dollars with these special stamps on them and they're worth more. And I found that at probably seven, eight years old and I started stealing money out of there. Um, now I had no male figures in my life. Um, my grandfather and my grandmother were split up. My grandfather lived on the other side of town. They had been split up for, for some time. I don't still have the whole story on that. Um, so it was just me and my grandma. For all those years and my grandmother took care of me through and through everything and um but it's i think i find it really interesting i always like to mention this because how does a seven eight year old kid you know start snooping in his grandmother's house and then find some money and then figure out and, and my toy of choice back then was gi joe right and um we went to the uh, uh we go to the grocery store every week week and a half and and i knew this you know we go to the cash and carry that was up the road and um I got the bright idea that I could buy my own GI Joe because, you know, my grandma didn't have a lot of money. So, um, you know, the first time I did that, I went and thought I took enough money and I went and my grandma would let me go to the magazine. And, um, she, uh, uh, so she let me go hang out over there. And um, this day I went over there and I grabbed the GI Joe. I wanted I went up to the register and I didn't have no money. And, um, so then I had some work to do the next week or two weeks uh, before we went back. And um, next time I went back, I had enough money. And, and I talk about this and I tell this, this little story because it kind of, it gives you a really good idea how my mind was working at that young of an age, right? I didn't, I didn't learn this from nobody. And, and I didn't watch a lot of TV. I still don't watch a lot of TV, um, but I didn't learn this from TV. Like there was something within me that, that just figured all this shit out, right? And so I walk up out of this cash and carry with this GI Joe in this bag and I get out and then I realize my grandmother's car is locked. How am I going to get in it? And she had a, a, a 69, it was a 69 Pontiac station wagon. It's a beast. And um, so um, I walked to the passenger side of the car and, and um, I just kind of looked and I was like, how am I going to get this in the car? The doors are locked. I can't take it back in. And, and then I set it on top of the tire well, up in the wheel well. And as I was walking back, I, I put it all together. I said, you know what? I know my grandmother, when she brings the groceries out, 
she, she brings the groceries out with a cart. She opens her driver's door. She reaches over, unlocks my door. And that's my opportunity to get that in the, in the car while she's loading the groceries. And so that's what I did when we get back to the house. I just pulled it out because I set it right here by the, by the floorboard, right by the door. And we got out and I hit it in her carport. And then I waited for her to go take the groceries and I took it out, you know, and, and, and I did that repeatedly. Um, and again, I tell that because, I mean, I think about it, what was going on in my head? Like, how did I figure all this shit out? Something's different, right? You know, of course, I didn't know that for a long time until I came out here to, uh, uh, to hopefully find another way in which I did. Um, I have a sobriety date of February 6, 2015, or clean date, sorry. So used to AA. Um, and for that, I'm, I'm, for, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful. Like, I, I don't even know how to put it in words. And I really mean that. And you hear that a lot of people open with that. But I mean, I truly, truly mean it. Just saying it, knowing where I came from and what my life had become, absolute chaos. I lost, uh, lost all my friends. Um, we had a group of nine guys that ran together. We did everything together. Um, two of those I was, uh, uh, I was closest to. And then uh, the third one after the other two passed away, um, I got close to him and he passed away. And so my whole life, there's been this abandonment in my life. My mother drops me off at grandma's. I got no father. My father left before birth, by the way. Um, and still to this day, I, I don't know anything. I got a smidgen of information back when I was about 21 from uh, a girlfriend at the time. And um, it came through her mother and it happened to be that her mother worked with my mother's best friend. And I walked in on Super Bowl Sunday and, and there's my mother's best friend that I'd known since I'd moved in with my mom sitting on her couch and it was just like crazy. So they got to talking when they went back to work that next week. And she uh, told uh, uh, my girlfriend's mother that my father was a uh, sheriff of a, a small town up in Georgia. And did I want to get in touch with him? Cause I, cause she could get me in touch with him. And, and my response was like, fuck no. Fuck that guy. You know what I mean? Like, you know, he ain't never reach out to me and try to find me. And here I am, like, I think I was 21 at the time, 22. And um, and he's a cop. Fuck that. Like, <laughs> true story, because, you know, the career path I took, man, I, you know, I, don't, I still get a little nervous around those guys. But um, I respect what they do, you know, for the most part. Um, but and that's all I knew, you know, and, 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 you know, so the abandonment and, and all the traumas and all the, all the death that surrounded me, it seemed like as I moved into my twenties, um, none of this is the reason why I picked up any drug or, or, or any bottle. That's not the reason there was something wrong way before that. Like the story I told you about the GI Joe, man, there was something going on, you know, and it took so long. And all I wanted to do was fit in, you know, my grandmother, my grandmother's neighborhood was off a side road. It was real quiet. I had two sets of friends. There was Marky and Ryan that were brothers on this side of the neighborhood. And there was Danny and Darren. They're both brothers. Uh, Marky and Ryan had a sister. I didn't have a sister. Um, and I remember Marky asking me one time, do you have any brothers? Do you have any sisters? I'm like, no. Where's your mom? I, I don't know. Where's your dad? What the fuck is that? Like, I, did, I truly didn't know what a father was. You know, and here I am, like, you know, probably eight years old, you know, at the time. And um, so my mother... I don't know what transpired. I still haven't uh, found out. Um, I'm still in the process after six years. Um, I, when I make my amends to my mother, um, I want to be face-to-face with her because I'm a face-to-face -face person. Um, I don't like the Zoom. I mean, I love Zoom, don't get me wrong. This is the, this is the, <laughs> this is the, this is the same shit. I mean, like I've been on a computer since 87. I was blessed with a computer in 1987. So this is like, this is like we're in person. You know, we're, we're right here. 
<laughs> I had to clean that one up real quick. But, um, you know, I just want to be there in front of my mother because I love my mom to death. She's a beautiful soul. She's a beautiful person. Um, I don't hold her accountable or blame her for anything. And I know she feels the exact opposite. And that hurts, you know. Um, she went through a, a her, uh, her husband passed away about a year and a half ago. And um, he was her caretaker. My mother uh, lost her mobility back over 20 years ago. And um, it was tough, man. I was around for that. And uh, it, was, it was real tough, man, seeing her go through that, man. A lady that, uh, you know, liked to get up on Saturdays and clean the house and turn up her Kimbler Bow stereo and dance around the house. And now this lady can't even get up and use the bathroom on her own accord, you know. And so it was a tough time for us, man. I've got a, uh, I've got a, a sister that's 10 years younger than me, and I got a brother uh, that's 20 years younger than me. And he spoke in here not too long ago, a while back. Um, but so, yeah, my mom comes and gets me at 10 years old. And so I go from this, uh, uh, this side street, you know, back in, in kind of a really laid back setting. And my mother takes me to her environment. And um, my mother had a, uh, she had a 77 uh, Monte Carlo. I'll never forget. It was royal blue with all white interior. And I remember rolling up and, you know, and I kept asking her. I remember we went over the bridge. I said, Mom, we're going over the bridge. And it's called the Caloosahatchee River where I'm from. And, um, you know, I didn't know where I was going, man. And we rolled up at her little one-bedroom apartment on Washington Avenue. And all I saw was people out on the street. I've never seen that before, you know. Um, I've seen a lot of people with, with uh, different pigmentation and skin color. I had never been around that, man. And so now here I am injected in this environment, told I can't leave the driveway. Well, it took a few weeks to get my bike over there. I get my bike and she said, you can't leave the driveway. And I didn't understand none of this, you know, I'm 10 years old. And um, so, you know, I started doing my own thing, you know, riding around the neighborhood. I had, I walked to school, we walked probably about a mile and a half to school, it wasn't too far, but we went down these railroad tracks and went to school. And, um, you know, I had went to a, uh, a Lutheran school before that. My grandmother had taken me to a Lutheran school for first grade kindergarten, and then I missed a year. And then I finally got back in school in that, in that uh, Edgewood Elementary. And, um, but acclimating to that neighborhood and that environment, I didn't know what. I was a, I was a, I was a blonde hair, bowl cut, blue eyed dude, and everybody else was different. So again, I felt different. You know, I felt different than my grandmother's because I didn't have no brothers, I didn't have no sisters, I didn't have a mom, I didn't have a dad all this, you know, and here I am now I'm injected in this environment and I'm around people that I, you know, I just, I just didn't understand. I, di I didn't understand what it was like to, to just be okay with me. Um, and that went on for many years. I, I got involved in a, once I started befriending people uh, in that neighborhood and um, I got involved in stuff to be accepted, man. I got, you know, it, it was always a, a, a it was always a struggle just to play a game of basketball or a game of football, man. Like nobody wanted to pick on a little white kid. Um, it was just tough, man. Like, you know, and again, none of these are the reasons why I ever picked up a drug or an alcohol. I'm just giving you a snapshot of my history. Um, I started getting in a lot of trouble at 12 years old. Um, I shot my first firearm at 12 years old. I still remember the sound and the smell. Um, and, and, um, my, uh, my life would uh, revolve around a lot of, a lot of crime and nefarious activity um, for many years, um, all the way up to the point I came out here at 40 years old to step into treatment. Um, uh, I got charged with the whole slew of charges at 14 years old. I ended up in the fourth floor of the Lee County Justice Center 
um, when I was supposed to be in the detention, the juvenile detention hall. And um, they didn't, because of the nature of my charges and the crime, uh, or crimes, I should say, um, they didn't move me from the Lee County Justice Center because they didn't know what to do with me. Um, fortunately for me, I made it out of that going through a, a, a court-appointed program. Um, I remember in that court-appointed program, my case manager asked me about my father. And for the first time, I, I realized that, you know, I didn't have a father. I didn't know where he was. I didn't know nothing about him. And I started bawling and crying from this lady. And my stepfather at the time just cut the session off. He said, it's over. So to this day, my mother and I have never had a conversation about my biological father. I've never asked and she's never offered any information. So that conversation's coming. That's just something that I have to work on, you know. Um, um, and the thing about it is, is you know, since I've been clean, I'm not afraid anymore to make those amends and I'm not afraid to, to face my mother and face the people that I've harmed. I used to be just so full of fear. You know, last thing I want to do is go stand in front of somebody, man, that, that, you know, that I've harmed and hurt emotionally and or physically and, you know, and, and just tell them what a piece of shit I was and, and everything. But, you know, it's like my sponsor tells me, until you can make those amends that you want to make in person, you just, you know, you, you live out your living amends, man, you, you, you know, and you live it to the fullest. And that's just what I do, man. I, you know, I, I offer myself to be a service um, any way I can. I'm not, I'm not the best at throwing myself in the way of service. Um, but if you come to me and ask me anything, I say yes every time. And, and that's, and that's where, like, I, I say yes, because that's what I was taught to do. Um, so, you know, moving on, I mean, I got in the, uh, after 14, it just, it was on, it was, you know. Now at this point, I hadn't I hadn't done any drugs and even drink. I think it was right around 15, 16, I drank for the first time. I had that first drunk. Um, and I remember it just being a happy time. We stole a bunch of beer out of a pickup truck and went up to the high school pool that was right across the street from my parents' house. And we had a blast. I remember walking back that night, hanging on to my buddies and we're all, you know, just laughing. Uh, I just remember, man, I gotta do that next weekend, right? Um, and then from there, like I was so against like, like Bud, I didn't, smoke. I didn't do none of that. I just kept, you know, I played a lot of basketball and um, I don't know. And then, and then uh, the nineties, you know, the nineties came around and ecstasy was everywhere. MDMA was everywhere. And that was the first substance that I put in my body. And that's what opened me up, you know, um, not too long after that, I, you know, I did some hallucinogenics and that same night I, I smoked some weed and, um, and then from there, it's just a fucking blur. It's an absolute blur, man. Um, my best friend out of those nine guys, the guy that I was closest to, the guys that I had missed a, a, a day with since I was about 12 years old, he committed suicide when I was 20, 20 I was 24. And um, it was tough. And then the, the guy that um, years later, 2012, the gentleman that drove, that was in 1998. I'll never forget, it was Friday the 13th, 1998. And um, the next day his wife was getting married on Saturday the 14th, which was Valentine's Day, never forget it. The gentleman that drove me to West Palm Beach from my hometown on the West Coast of Florida, the gentleman that drove me to his house to go be with his mom after that happened, that gentleman committed suicide in 2012. It never gets easy, you know, 
but I'm taught to honor my time with those individuals. I'm taught to, uh, you know, honor um, all the positive and all the and all the good things. And um, I'll say this: that both of those gentlemen, um, what led them up to to taking their own lives was, was drugs. You know, um, one of them was was uh, opiates. Um, the other one was a mixture of Xanax and, and, you know, he started using the Xanax to come up down off the ecstasy after we'd be gone um, for a few days. Um, and then the other guys, man, I had one, uh, one of our good friends died tragically in a car accident. And then um, four of those other individuals were taken by the hands of somebody else. One of those gentlemen lives that were taken, his sister was, was murdered at a stoplight due to something it was indirect direct of what we were involved in um innocent people lost lives you know not to mention not just the people that you know put a needle in their arm and lost their life man you know that were all around us because you know and and, and here's another thing too in south florida there was no heroin man there was no meth you 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 had to search high and low to find that shit what we had was pills and everybody knows and heard about the wild wild west with the pills i ended up getting involved in that um years later i had a uh you know this is this is somebody that did not even make it out of ninth grade i dropped out of high school to go to the street because that's the only way i knew how to make money and that's where i felt the most comfortable you know um because i knew the people there had my back and everything um but when that pill epidemic hit it was it was it was insane you know and somebody from from from, from me how can I not capitalize off of this? You know, I'm going to a, a pharmacy and buying some shit for 92 cents and selling it for 25 all day long. Shit, I'll sell them for 20 and take all the business. You know, it just, things just escalated to a point where they were so far out of control, people were dying, you know? Um, and I like to tell this and, and, and I can't remember the exact date. It was, I do, I do remember it was June 20, June 25th, was it 2001? So it was Dave Michael Jackson died. I'd started using opiates out of curiosity. I wanted to try to figure out why everybody was jumping all over the fucking place for them pills and Roxy's, right? And I had an overabundance that, you know, I, I never hardly ever ran out, man. They were always there. And, and I just got curious. And I went to the counter and I smashed one up. That, and that was before Michael Jackson passed away. But how fast that escalated was about four months down the road. Um, I went out and did my rounds and I came back and I remember I got back about 1.30, two o'clock in the afternoon. I sat down on the couch, I'm counting money, I'm counting pills, counting, I'm short. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, no, nah, this ain't right going to my car. And so she... Meanwhile, I'm watching the whole broadcast about Michael Jackson died at the age of 50 years old due to a combination of, of, of drugs that he uh, put in his body. What I realized, after about maybe about an hour and a half of recounting, counting, recounting, looking, hiding, because you know, when you're fucked up, you hide shit everywhere, right? Um, I realized that between, somewhere between 8.30 in the morning and about, I'm just gonna say two o'clock in that afternoon, I had already put 12, 30 milligram Roxy's in my body. And I didn't, I didn't understand, but that was the first day that I realized I had a problem. And I sat there on the couch watching all this broadcast about Michael Jackson and this and that and all the speculation. You knew it was drugs, right? I mean, I knew it was drugs, right? I, I just had to, you know, just knew. But it still didn't stop me. 
I ain't stop. You know, like all these signs popped up in my life, all these, these friends that I lost, the relationships that I tarnished and, and the bridges that I burned. Nothing made sense, man. It would go on. That was in uh, things escalated. Um, and um, we knew that in October, October, we knew October 2010 was when the database for the pills were going to go up. So we're back here in February and March and April, and we got pulled in by the people that we work for that, you know, basically there's a new market coming and it's heroin. And I told them, I don't want no part of that, man. You know, like you couldn't go anywhere in South Florida and find heroin on the corner. Go down there now. It's everywhere. And some of y'all, I'm sure, been down there. Y'all know, right? All we have is yay, crack, and pills. Well, the pill, the pill thing still, you know, it's still there, but it ain't like it was, it ain't the wild, wild west. I worked for a pill clinic back then. Um, I had friends that owned a pill mill and um, was ran by people that were fresh out of prison. I'm just trying to like, I'm just trying to do like, my life got so chaotic and, and I didn't know if I was gonna make it to tomorrow some of the times, cause I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what was coming. Um, so moving on through 2000 and so the database went up I basically backed off um, and just took care of like small shit or whatever. And, and, um, and then I started hearing about the indictments coming down. And um, so with a friend of mine that owns a restaurant down there, man, he shuts down for about four months out of the year. He invited me to go up to New York with him to uh, kind of clear my head and get ready for these indictments. Um, so I went to New York and uh, it was okay for a little while. I spent some time on the lake up there, Lake Otsego. And um, then I started drinking and then I started like having pills sent up. Then I started having powder sent up. And like, you know, it's like, it all just came back again. And it's crazy because I knew back then that the only thing that was gonna help me was was something out there that, that, that looks over us. Cause I've always believed that, you know, even with my friends passing, there's always something out there that looks over us, but I didn't understand shit. I never had, I never had any type of, uh, you know, I believe we all have faith no matter what, but I never had any type of following in my life. I never had any type of religious background. I never had none of that. And um, my life just got so, it's just got so bad that I tried to drink myself to sleep. I tried to pill myself to sleep so I wouldn't wake up. Um, and none of that worked. I always woke up the next day or, or that day or whatever. And um, I'd be so upset that I woke up because I was still breathing. And so when I realized that these pills and the alcohol and all this shit, all the opiates I was putting in my body, I, I, I just got I just got tired. Right. And um, so I, I went to other means. I said, you know, what? I'll just take myself out because I felt destined that my two closest friends out of all those guys they took their own life, so that's how I'm going. Because those guys were closer to me than anybody, period, on this earth, right? Both of those gentlemen didn't have fathers either. So I think that's there's something there, you know, I'm sure a clinician would be able to tell you why we bonded so much. So I felt it was destined me to take my own life, man. I planned it out. I wrote my letters to my family. I wrote my letters to, um, to uh, a couple ex-girlfriends. Um, one of them was, was real nice and the other one not so nice. Um, but um, fortunately, they never saw those. I got to read them because I'm still here. Um, and I, I say it like this, higher power, I say God. I can't tell you what that is. I don't necessarily believe God is a, 
or Jesus or whatever is depicted out there, all these, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily believe that. I just believe in the energy that's within us, you know, um, it's deep within us. And, 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 and the more we tap into it, the more it emanates from out, outside of us, you know, and um, God swooped me up. He swooped me up. I was two and a half weeks away from my date that I set. And um, some things went down and I don't have time to explain all that, but I'm talking about some profound shit that I couldn't ignore. And I ended up out here in treatment, man. Um, I ended up out here in treatment in Laguna Beach. I spent 11 months as a client in treatment and um, slowly things started to change. I got a sponsor at like four, four months, but I didn't do shit. You know, I did one, two and three with him uh, in his, in his house uh, in about six hours, one night. And, um, and I meant it like, you know, are you powerless over? I mean, I'm powerless. I'm powerless over everything. I'm powerless over all y'all. I'm powerless over everything. I was done, man. I was fucking exhausted, you know, but I knew that like something had me hold on because I left New York still not wanting to live. Here I am walking into treatment at 40 years old, thinking I fucked off my whole life. 20 plus years is just fucking off, right? Nah, man, that's not the way I see it now. I keep myself healthy, you know, and, and nothing tragic. I got at least 20 years left to, to, to be a service and, and help the next person. Because in kind of like what Matt said, this feeling that I have, this what's, what's going on inside now, man, all I want is for the next person to have this. I was the last person that I'd ever think would be up here in a podium sharing this stuff because I was so, I rejected all of this shit. They started taking me to Canyon Club, AA and NA and CA. Man, I'm like, the fuck is wrong with these people, man? You know what I mean? Like straight up, like you hear a lot of people say that, but that's where I was. And um, I just remembered something last week when I was watching some newcomers take chips and there's a few girls that come up and one of the girls grabbed her chip and she just spun around and dipped back to her chair. I remember that. I remember getting my first chip and one of the support staff said, he looked over at me and went, and I was like, you know, cause I'll do what you tell me all day. I'm, I'm, I'm a yes man. So I got up there and I grabbed my chip and I just turned around, walked away. And I was walking by some dude that was right there. And he said, who are you? I said, who the fuck are you? You know what I mean? Like I didn't get shit. I didn't know nothing, man. I went back to my seat and one of the guys I was in treatment with was like, what's wrong, man? Man, fuck that guy up there, you know? Excuse my language. Sorry, I curse like a seller. But um, <laughs> the support staff said, "No, man, you're supposed to you're supposed to say your name." And so, you know, I didn't know shit, man, and and I still don't know shit. Um, but one thing I do know is that these fellowships, this program, HACA, and it all works, man. It's just about what you're gonna do, you know. Um, I can tell you this, man. Fucking around out in them streets, man. This shit that's going on out there today. I was just having a conversation with somebody earlier, man. Like this shit, they're like, you're putting fentanyl in, yay? Like, how does that even fucking make sense? You know what I mean? But they, you know, I, and I understand from that side of it, the operations, I understand why they're doing it. But it just makes no sense, man. You know, these are loaded guns. These needles are loaded guns, man, that people are putting in our arms, man. And, and, and um, you know, I, I just hope that, you know, you can, you can become open-minded if you're not, if you are, stay that way, um, stay willing. If you're here right now, you're willing. You have some willingness because you're here right now. You know what I mean? And get honest. And I know that's crazy and it's hard and hard to think, but that's all I know now. You know what I mean? And if the, the feeling I have for being honest about my feelings and how I feel, if somebody irritates me, I can, um, I see you, man. Um, 
you know, like I can be honest with another human being when, when, when they kind of rub me the wrong way and tell them how I feel. Like, what? Like, I've never heard of that. I'd keep all that shit bottled up. And then when shit popped off, then I'd let them have it. And, hey, you remember that shit? That... Oh, man, I'm not like that today, man. The, this, these steps, this shit's crazy. Like, this shit changed my life <laughs> straight up. Like, you know, I, I, there's no way I can explain this. There's no way I can explain what I have today. You know, the only way is I can, I can show you by, by keep, you know, by my actions and what I do in the program and, and um, taking somebody else through, through the book, man, that's, that's the gift, you know, and it's like, you know, the promises say, you know, you'll be amazed before you're halfway through and people think about the whole kit and caboodle as, as that, man, they're talking about the nine steps. So what I say is at least get your, do your, stay here and get your amends done and then come and then, then let's see if you want to bounce. Man, I'll put it, I don't, I don't gamble. I'm not a gambler. I'll put a dollar on it. You at least get to your fucking amends. You're most likely going to be around here. And you're most likely going to catch what's going on here. Um, you know, when they talk about, I'm going to finish with this. They talk about this being a threefold disease. And I, I always thought about this when, when I learned this from my second sponsor. I'm currently in a workshop right now. And, and that gentleman that runs that workshop brought it up in this sense. And it's the same way that I thought about it three years ago. They say this is a threefold disease, right? You got the you know obsession of the mind, the allergy of the body, and, and, and then you got the spiritual malady. Well, see, to me, and I'm glad he put it like this, because this is what I was thinking. I was like, hold up. Like, obsession of the mind, allergy of the body, I get that. You know, um, I use, I can't stop. You know, and, da, da, da. and once I do, then it's just on and popping, right? But see, that spiritual malady, yeah, that the malady is, you know, there's an, there's an issue there, right? But that's to me, that's like, I always see it as opportunity. And that's another thing, man, is I don't say issues and I don't say problems no more. All I got is opportunity. All we all have is opportunity. We have opportunity to better our lives and, and, and better our relationships. So the, the relationships that have been tarnished throughout the years, the way I see it, man, this is a twofold disease and I'm not trying to change nothing, change all that, nothing. But the way I see it, you know, the solution is, is spiritual. And that's what I found. I was never a spiritual person. I hung out on corners and sold crack. Like, I, it's not, that's not spiritual. You know what I mean? Like, like the shit that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get crazy, you know what I mean? Like, usually I forget to do that. You could be over there, you could be over there yelling at me and I forget. But um, like, you know, the, the people struggle with the God piece and so did I, right? But through these steps, these steps brought me to my higher power. They brought me to God. And I rejected that shit. How, how could I believe in something that took all these people from me? Well, you know what? Going through these steps, I realized that that's fucking selfish. I'm thinking about me. And I'll tell you this real quick piece real fast and, and just because it's, it's deep. At two years of being clean, I was running this men's house in Laguna Beach because the treatment center at 11 months, 11 and a half months, they hired me to run this men's house in Laguna Beach. I did that for two and a half years. And um, at two, two years of being clean, I started like, I was praying and, and um, I was praying on my knees, which that changed everything. Cause I used to pray in bed like this. When I started getting on my knees, that changed, it changed so much. But so here I am at two years and I'm like praying and meditating. I learned how to meditate too. That's just unheard of, right? Um, I'm, I'm praying and meditating on what my purpose is now that I'm clean, you know? Now, what do I do? I fucked off my corporate jobs. I fucked, you know, um, 
fucked off everything, man. And, and, and um, what do I do now? You know? And so what's my purpose? Please God show me my purpose. And I wasn't getting nothing. I mean, this shit went on for almost six months. It was like five and a half months. And I'm going around and talking to everybody in the rooms. And I'm like, what do you think? And this old, this old timer said, he said, Carrie, he said, uh, uh, you did six, step six and seven, right? And I said, yes, sir. He said, think about it, man. You're praying for you, bro. And he goes, not that it's a bad thing, because, you know, we pray for us. You know, if there's something we want, they, some people say pray for that shit, right? Nothing wrong with that. I don't pray for worldly items because the obsession for me was worldly items, clothes, cars, rims, women, all this bullshit, right? I don't, you know, I don't do that anymore. So I started praying for me. I thought it was positive, but he pointed it out and he goes, it sounds like you're being selfish again, man. And I was like, whoa, shit, you're right because I was praying for my purpose, you know, and, 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 and this was like, a, a, I mean, I'm telling you, it was a turning point for me. Um, so then I went back and I started praying for our purpose as human beings. And it took almost two weeks and I was meditating on the balcony. And, and this is how I learned how to meditate is uh, it's, it's an exercise or a position called sleeping tiger. Look it up, try it, it's a, it's a, it's a bitch. But if you want to learn how to meditate, that's a good way because it, it gets you to concentrate on your breathing and stuff. But I learned how to meditate on a balcony that hangs over PCH. So all I got nothing but traffic, you know, going up and down, up and down. Um, so I come up out of my meditation and it just hit me. Like, what's our purpose, man? And, and um, so when my, when my boy Sean passed away in 1998, man, we had some, uh, his mother and I were the closest people to him. We had some paranormal stuff that was happening. She was seeing them and having conversations. I was feeling them around and I was getting these, uh, uh, just these waves of like despair and just like darkness around me, man. And I was talking to him, but I never saw him. So she started going seeing a priest um, by the recommendation of a friend of hers. And then she told me at about three, three and a half weeks in and started kind of alleviating that, that this, these happenings. So she said, I think you should talk to somebody. So I hit my grandfather up. My grandfather's a strict Catholic. You know, I said, I need to talk to somebody at the church. So he hooked me up. So long story short, I had seven sessions for this priest. First six times kind of feeling like a therapy session. I did most of the talking. He asked me questions, you know, and, and I talked. The seventh time I walked in, he goes, son, this is going to be a little different. I'm going to do most of the talking. Hopefully I'm going to shed some light. That's what he said. Shed some light on what you've been going through. So he talked to me about the different denominations of what the Catholics believe versus this purgatory, blah, 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 blah. So he kind of opened my mind up to that, right? He says, at the end of this, I got a question for you. He said, we'll get to that. And then he finally said, you're about ready for that question. I said, yes, sir. He said, no, I'm he goes, the only thing that God asks you is you answer from your heart, not your head. Now, I didn't know nothing about treatment. I didn't know nothing about how he gets stuck up here. And, you know, that's part of the problem and all that session of mine, all that stuff. And, um, yeah, my Florida is coming out for real. So, I'm so, <laughs> but, um, so, um, he said, all right, you know, there's, there's going to be no right or wrong answer. All God asks is you answer from your heart. He said, can you handle that? I said, yeah. He said, okay. He said, so why are you here? I said, well, I came here to get help. He goes, stop. He goes, no, no, see, you're up here. And I was like, huh? And he says, why are you here? I said, you mean like here, like on earth? And he said, yeah. I said, you mean like purpose? And he says, exactly. Ah, oh, shit, man, I'm 24 years old. And I got stopped. He stopped me again. He said, listen, he goes, your heart answers immediately. Your heart to tell you what's right or wrong, right? 
words came out of my mouth. I don't know where they came from. I mean, I do. I said I do now. You know what I mean? They came straight from upstairs, right? But I said to help people. I never tried to help nobody in my life, man. I thought I was helping people for so long, but I was doing nothing but destroying, destroying them. You know. Um, and uh, he stood up. He grabbed me underneath my arms and he kind of shook me, and he said, "That's it, son. That's our purpose." He was basically to love and help one another throughout our lives. So I come up out of this meditation. And he says, he goes, you ain't going to figure it out this week. He said, you probably won't figure it out this year. Heck, you might not even figure it out um, for 20 years is what he said. Now, from that, that time frame, when I walked into treatment and I had this spiritual experience on this balcony, it was 18 and a half years. So that man damn near hit it on the mark when I kind of got the gist of it, right? And then I went to a meeting and I heard this lady share at the Canyon Club in Laguna Beach, the Saturday night speaker. And this was it. This was, this was four months after I had this whole epiphany. Um, and at the end of her share, she said, I truly believe that our sole purpose on this earth is to love and help one another in whatever capacity we can throughout our day. And when she said that, my buddy just looked at me because now I'd been saying it for a few months now, you know what I mean? Since I had this whole awakening piece and my buddy just looked at me and he just went like this, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like crazy shit. I'm in tears as she's saying this, but here's the thing. It's kind of crazy that this priest says this to me almost damn near 20 years ago. I end up in this program that that's what this is about. We're here to love each other until so we can learn how to, you know, y'all are here to love me until I can learn how to love myself. And that's exactly what happened. I never had no higher power. I didn't, I, I had nothing. I got all that, you know, and it's like, I used to hear people from the podium say, I have a beautiful life today. You know, I, my life is beautiful today because I'm free. I have this freedom that, 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 that emanates from inside me that I'm not willing to give up. I'm out in California. I questioned myself for a couple of years, like, man, why can't I just smoke? I'm in California. We used to get our shit from California. Ah, man, like I'm not willing to test the waters, you know, because um, what I have today is so precious. And, and, and um, I just wanna, you know, be able to give this back however I can and, 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 um, and do whatever I can so that the next person can have the same experience. You know, because that's what this is about, man. It's about loving each other and helping each other through this. We're all in this shit together. It don't matter what your story is, what your background. It's all the same. It's all the same, man. You know, the context may be a little different and this and you didn't do what it doesn't matter. We're all here for the same reason, you know. So, um, Sean, I want to uh, say thank you again for asking me to come out and speak. And um, I love you all. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I hope you stay with us. If you're new in here. I hope you stay. If you're newly back, I hope you stay. That's all I got. Thank you.